Hello and welcome to the School of ICT Conversation Bites podcast. I'm Tessa. Join me for conversations about the personal stories, current research and career advice from the talented people in our ICT community. Thank you so much for joining with me today, Jabez, to have a conversation about what you're up to and what you're passionate about in the School of ICT. First of all, how long have you been at Griffith and what brought you here? Uh, thanks for the welcome, Tess. I've been at Griffith now since 2004. So what's that, 18 years. I started here as an undergraduate student and uh, did my PhD here as well. And then I started working as a full-time staff member back in 2014. What first got you interested in that space of programming and IT in general? I mean, I'd always been really into computers as a kid. I started programming when I was 11 or 12 years old back in, in, you know, I think maybe had just Windows 95 had just come out, but I was probably still using DOS and QBasic and and then I got into Visual Basic and a, a few other sort of languages and projects. But computers had always been something I'd, I'd mucked around with from, from a very early age. Before programming, I was tinkering for, for many years and... Um, it, it sort of was always a bit of a, a tough call as to what I was going to do. I actually, my out of high school was really, really split between IT and law. But I got, because, yeah, I was I was very interested in becoming a barrister. I, I always enjoyed public speaking and I, I thought I might go down that path. But I actually got offered a scholarship to go and study, of all things, games programming straight out of high school. And so I did that which was an interesting experience. It, it sort of taught me a lot about programming, but it also taught me a lot about the games industry. And I think I sort of tried to get into it for a while, but I found it a very, very challenging industry and one that didn't necessarily hold a very stable or, or reliable future. So I elected to go and study a degree and that's sort of how I, I stumbled into Griffith, I guess. it was I was living on the Gold Coast and it was close. What kind of got you to keep on going into further study and then academia? Um, I mean, I suppose I should give some of the credit to my parents. They were kind of like, you know, you're not getting a job at the <laughs> moment. You know, I, I'd, I'd been searching for, for games programming jobs after I finished my, um, my diploma. And uh, I, I got close to a few interviews, like I got down to the, the second or third rounds, but nothing was really opening up for me. And the ones that I was closest to getting were, would have involved relocating to Canberra or Melbourne. So and not that I was against that, but as it turned out, nothing was really happening. And my parents kind of said, look, if you're going to sit here and, and sort of, you know, keep working on your own little projects, but you're not getting paid, you may as well do a degree. And at least then you're building your qualifications. And I I suppose I should thank them for that because I probably didn't feel the same at the time. I don't know that I had the presence of mind to sort of go, oh, that's a good point. But it was kind of a, well, I, if I keep them happy, they'll leave me alone. And and so, again, it wasn't this big plan. It really was just, oh, well, I'll go and do a degree. And the one thing that I guess I would sort of maybe now, in hindsight, reflecting on how I thought about it at the time and, and how I would like other people to think about it, the one thing I did that helped me a lot was really engage in my degree. Like I was I was the person that was really interested in chatting with the academics and finding out what they were doing. And, you know, at the end of my second year, 
I started doing research projects. I was uh, I was allowed, applied for and got one of the Nick the Summer Scholarships, which is normally meant for third or honours year students, but they allowed end of second years to apply. That was my first taste of research. But for me, research was never sort of this separate thing. It was just this idea of trying to solve a problem that no one had solved before. And, and when you talk to the other academics and they've all got their areas of interest and expertise, but they're all working on, in theory, they're all working on things that don't have an answer and they're looking for new solutions, new ideas, new strategies, new techniques, tools, new paradigms. And um, that was what you know really gripped me and what got me into the research career. But I would never have had that opportunity if I wasn't sort of engaged as a student. I wasn't really interested in the subjects. I wasn't asking, you know, my programming or data structures mm. lecturers for, for interesting sort of side projects or extra work or stuff like that. And not that I did a ton of extra work, but I was always interested in finding out what else was going on and, and exploring the things that interested me. Yeah, keeping that curiosity alive mm. is a big step of it. I imagine now even in academia as a researcher, as a lecturer, in order to keep up to date with your field, you've got to keep that curiosity going. Absolutely, and it's hard because there's so much going on. People use the throwaway line that, you know, IT moves so quickly and how do you mm. stay calm? But it turns out by 10 and then you've got an idea of what the research space in IT is like. There's so much going on. You know, the last decade of, of computer vision research has completely transformed the field. It's it's nothing like what it was when I first studied it and did my PhD. The entire domain has changed. Everything about it is is different. Um, and and staying on top of all the latest tech is is very very challenging. And to be honest, I don't know that I do a great job of it, but I, I try. And uh, usually through my students as well, who are obviously have more time to read the the conference proceedings and the latest journal issues. Um, I get sort of tidbits of information which I can go and explore if they interest me. But, yeah, yeah it's right. curiosity is, is a great quality, I think, as a student. And, it, and it's a great quality as a professional because in every profession, and even if, you know, you didn't want to get into research and you were really just interested in, in doing development or engineering or, or something else, innovation is always valuable in every domain. And Curiosity is probably the first step towards that, being interested in what could be done, what could be done differently, where can ideas come from. Yeah, right. Speaking of curiosity, you've piqued mine. Can you tell me a bit more about computer vision and what that means and <laughs> what's happening? Yeah, um, computer vision. So, I mean, there's a lot of terms that describe this field. You'll hear it referred to as, as computer vision, machine vision, image processing, image analysis. And some people might argue semantics around, oh, there's a slight difference between them. But really, we're talking about the same thing, and that is computers processing what we as humans would call visual data. Of course, computers don't really know what it is. To a computer, it's just numbers. But in the same way that when we take a photograph, we represent the real world as a series of pixels, each which we ascribe a series of numerical values that can be used to describe a colour, that's what a computer sees. A computer sees those numerical values. So the entire field is around processing uh, that kind of data and the tools, techniques, strategies and, and plans that you can use to, to have computers come up with statistics, come up with augmentation, come up with um, analysis, come up with insights about that data. So traditionally, a lot of people sort of think of the field is really being about computers recognizing objects. You know, mm. what is that? Or that is a cat, that is a car. And that's certainly a, a big chunk of it, but it's not the only thing. You know, a lot of the 
sort of traditional image processing was about augmentation, about taking an image that might have certain properties and enhancing some properties and diminishing others to highlight features. And so there's a bit of a blend there with the field of visualization. You know, traditionally we, we say that visualizing data in an effective way can convey so much more information and make information so much more apparent to a, a reader or a viewer. Mm -hmm. um, in image augmentation, a lot of the same principles apply. So yeah, it's, it's been a field that's interested me for a long time, since my undergraduate degree actually is where I first got into it. I got introduced to the field through handwriting recognition, which is right. basically a solved problem now. It's certainly in English, it's pretty well done. Cursive recognition is reasonable. It's not bulletproof, but it's it's at those sort of levels where it's it's not something that's seeing a ton of active research because we're, we're already pretty good at it. But that's that was my first introduction to it. And that, again, that was an elective I took during my third year of my studies. It was a uh, 6,000 course code subject. So again, not really meant for undergraduates, but I, I found it so much more interesting than the other subjects. <laughs> so I just took it and said, I'll, I'll do that. And then I, I got an opportunity straight after, literally uh, the week after I finished my last exam in my third year, I got asked to do some machine vision work um, in beach vision, looking at counting the number of people on beaches from beach surf cameras. So right. we could measure beach usage, measuring wave heights, measuring shoreline erosion, all of those kind of things. And so that was where I started dabbling into the field, sort of in a professional sense. And then uh, while doing my honours, or as part of my honours, I also looked at medical imaging and um, found this really interesting project around analysing individual brain cells. Right. And that's what I did my honours right. and PhD in. Yeah, right. That would be um, a, there's a bit of a difference in scale from counting people on a beach or big rocks on a beach or whatever to like individual brain cells. Yeah. Is there a different process you have to go through for that? Um, I mean, I mean, the, the techniques and the tools are certainly individual, but fundamentally it's image data. Right. And sure, the approach is going to be different because we're measuring sort of slightly different things. But to a computer, um, it's not, you know, fundamentally you're working with image data. And so it, it wasn't actually as big of a difference as it sounds at least on, on the surface. It was fascinating. It was a fascinating project to work with. I loved being involved where the outcomes of the research were more than just IT outcomes. We didn't, mm. sure, it was 83% accurate and, and that was a nice figure to write in my thesis, but it was really cool to watch a, a neurobiologist take my tool, run it on their data set and then say, oh, well, isn't this interesting? We've got these different populations of cells in different, you know, transgenic mice, mice which have had their DNAs alternate, uh, altered and look at the differences in the cells. You know, mm. we can we can measure all these cells and say, oh, look, these are 20% bigger. If you look at any one cell, you can't tell that. Mm. You look at a single cell and it's like, oh, it's, it looks like a cell. And even if you measured it, there's, there's enough variation between cells yeah. that you get some that are smaller, some that are bigger. But when you look at thousands of cells from two different cell lines and, and you see a, a you know, a significant, statistically significant difference in size because of a certain gene mutation or a certain disease state or oxidative stress or something. I found that really rewarding to see my work being used to sort of further further their field. Yeah, right. It sounds like um, we've had a bit of a running theme in ICT that it tends to not just be about the IT or computers or those components, but also a multidisciplinary approach and, and touching on those other 
industries like health or whatever, is that something that you've noticed has been increasing? Yeah, it has to be now. I mean, there is still fundamental computer science, but it's a very, very small part of it. It's not that computers are a solved issue, but they are pervasive. Computing exists in almost every discipline, every domain now. And so as our scope has broadened, it's natural that the more and more of our work is becoming more and more multidisciplinary. There are still people doing fantastic computer science research just for the sake of advancing the field of, of computation. But the majority of research and the majority of advancements in, in, in computing have really been focused on where they can make a difference. And I think we're seeing that in, in research now, more and more of the work that myself and my colleagues are doing is, mm. is involving other schools, other disciplines, because they're interested in how they can leverage IT to, to make a difference in their domain. So I think we're going to see, if we haven't already, um, but I think we, in fact we probably have, but we'll see that become more and more true in the professional sense. You know, now I think if you were a software developer or, you know, any kind of IT specialist, chances are you're working for an IT company. But we are starting to see more and more, particularly at the larger companies, but I think we'll start to see even some of the SMEs employing that are not IT companies. It could be a construction company. It could be an agriculture company. It could be a mining company. We're going to start to see more and more SMEs employing IT specialists to have those skills in staff. Um, rather than outsourced or, or at an arm's length because I think it's becoming more and more integrated. So I think that's probably a trend that started. I, I know for a fact of, of things like construction companies, not massive ones. I'm not talking about thousands of employees. I'm talking right. dozens of employees. They would specifically employ an IT specialist to work in-house on their next-gen IT solutions that help solve their business problems. So I suspect that there is a trend in the industry that will probably continue to grow where we will see people who graduate from our degrees as an IT specialist employed by non-IT companies to do IT things within that company. And I'm not, right. not talking about tech support. I'm not talking about fixing their computers. I'm talking about data analysis, programming, you know, app development, but not in the traditional sense of building a big complicated app. I'm talking rapid fire um, development for, you know, using various tools and toolkits where you can put something together really quickly to solve a business need. Yeah. Um, I think we'll see more and more of that happen. Yeah, that's really interesting as a, a space for your career to go in, that if you are interested in another domain or another industry, there's an opportunity for you to bring those skills to it. What are you passionate about? Is computer vision like the thing that, you wake up every day and go, yes, I love what I do, or is there another oh. thing in IT? I mean, that... I, look, I, I teach a lot, and teaching has become probably my focus, or at least it takes up the majority of my time. I'm currently the first-year coordinator for Nathan Campus, and I teach quite a few of the first-year courses. And so I guess teaching and, and helping our students sort of achieve their potential is is probably the thing that drives me the most and that I spend most of my time on. I love my research and I wish I had more time to do it, but mm. it's sort of the become secondary to really looking at innovations in learning and teaching, finding ways to improve my courses and um, working with students to sort of help them achieve their potential. And, and that, that can be both at the, the top and the bottom end, you know, helping 
excellent students, you know, achieve amazing results and, and push themselves to their absolute limit, but also to help students that might be struggling to just get get past some of those hurdles and get past some of those walls and and realize, hey, actually, I can do this and, and I am able to to engage with this material and, and achieve things I didn't think were possible. So that's probably what I what I do the most spend most of my time on. What would you say to those students coming in? What should we be doing in our first year, second year and third year to be maximising our student experience? I mean, student experience is an interesting thing to try and measure because you have your academic experience and that's how well you engage with your courses, your material, your program. But university is, is more than that. Um, and but I don't know, maybe, maybe it's different now. But when I was here as a student, as an undergraduate student, you know, the things I remember, the things that stood out for me were, you know, the study sessions on the lawn outside G, I don't even know what the name of the building is now. You know, we'd have an hour between classes and we'd go and we'd have our textbooks and it'd be in the middle of winter, so a tw- nice 23 degree day with the sun out. And, um, and, and, you know, we would go and we would talk about the material from the workshop that we just did or an upcoming assignment um, and it wasn't a massive thing. It was a group of six or eight or ten of us, and it would be as much of a social event as it was a study session. Um, but those little opportunities to sort of engage with your peers and and explore things in in groups, you know, explore ideas and concepts. Because you know, if you didn't know the answer, there's a good chance person Y sitting across from you did. Mm. Um, I remember the the I, I I was in the tennis club and the tennis team for Griffith. I remember the the parties at the uni bar. Or don't I don't remember. Yeah, or don't remember. <laughs> um, you know, I so the thing with with university is it's um, you know the majority of our students are between the ages of eighteen and let's say twenty four in that sort of you know their young adult lives and for a, again a majority of that majority are recent school leavers and so university is their their first experience after high school. So it really is a place where you kind of find yourself a little bit. What what kind of a, a person are you going to be? What areas are you interested in? But um, it's it, it really is a, a, a bit of a transformative experience because you're surrounded by people your age or older, particularly if you're a first-year student. You've got academics who are experts in the field. You've got industry engagements. You've got um, people from other domains and disciplines. And through all of that, you kind of grow quite a bit as a person. So um, I think that in terms of maximizing your experience, look, university, the the one thing that I think people realize fairly early on is it's what you make of it. Mm. You can do the minimum and think that university was not that great an experience. You've got a few courses that some of which you already knew, some of which you never wanted to know. Um, and, And you can get through your your degree and and sort of think oh it was fine or you can really engage you can you can undertake the extracurricular activities you can meet people um, you can engage with the content beyond the minimums and really discover a lot of interesting things and come out of university thinking wow that was an awesome sort of opportunity and and I feel ready for the next chapter in my life whatever that might be mm-hmm. so in terms of specific advice, look, obviously my as a as a convener, my bias is towards make sure you do your study, <laughs> read your lecture notes, yeah. do complete your assessments, be organised, get a calendar, set up reminders, do all those sorts of academic things, and and I do mean all of that. That is really important. 
and and I, I I think that you can't that that can't be undervalued. But also engage with the rest of the university. You know, mm. look at the opportunities we've got: sports clubs, social clubs. Um, there's the GTSA, the IT club now. There's there's so many different opportunities to to be a part of university and it's a short part of your life as well for many yeah. students it's three or four years 18 to 21 22 and it's kind of then you'll move on and and, and so for those three or four years enjoy it but enjoy it whilst getting something out of it yeah that's really great advice and it's it is what you make of it I mean I joined all sorts of clubs I lived on campus so I had all of that experience as mm-hmm. well and it definitely meant that you could branch into a lot of different areas you could get to know peers from other disciplines and possibly find some connections there as well academically and and group study sessions are just so much easier to actually study when you're in a space where you're all actually encouraging each other to do that instead of sitting there trying to find the motivation yourself well because you've you've agreed to put time together and if you don't contribute or do your part you're letting everybody else down so there's that added motivation but I do think it's 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 good to work with your peers and and have those kind of engagements. Um, you know, you're going to have to do group work through yeah, your assignment. So if you start making start making friends in your first year and start working with people, you'll very quickly work out who you like to work with, and yeah. everyone's different. And it's fine to sort of not want to work with someone because you don't you don't work in the same way. That's completely reasonable. But you should you know develop skills in in that space and and find people you want to work with because that's a part of your study and it's a part of your professional life too. Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful. So the last word, do you have, what's the takeaway for our listeners today from this conversation? Oof. <laughs> I look, I, I think um, this is, this is an exciting opportunity for, for new and current students. You're, you're engaging in, in this sort of transformative part of your life and there is no limit into what you can achieve you know we've we just had an alumni present at our research forum Mm. he didn't do a phd he wasn't a researcher he just did a degree bachelor of it he founded three companies and and was talking to us about wanting to re-engage with the university and bringing research and industry together there's there's no limit into what you can achieve during your studies and post studies and you decide what you get out of your degree. Mm-hmm. And so if if you can choose to do the minimum and you'll get the minimum out of it, or you can choose to really put an effort in, engage in, in multiple ways and, and feel like it was a really rewarding experience where you gained a lot both professionally and personally. So as a takeaway, I would say that's, that's the message. Yeah, jump in, make the most of it while you can. Awesome. Yep. Well, thank you so much for having this conversation. Really great to chat with you and get to know a bit more about what you're up to and what we can do to get into our careers and move through university. Yep, no worries. Thanks. If you enjoyed this, please share it around and we'd love to get your feedback. Who should we interview next? Do you have any burning questions? Let us know through the link in the description.